Has God ever taught you the importance of waiting for His time? In Exodus 2, God's appointed servant learns not that God did not want to use him, but that the time had not yet arrived. For the Lord is our defense, yes, in defense. For the Lord is our defense, yes, in defense. For the Lord is our defense, yes, in defense. For the Lord is our defense, yes, in defense. In the opening 10 verses, amidst an awful period of persecution in which it's likely that many infant Hebrew males were killed, God unfolds his purpose through a husband and wife, both from the tribe of Levi. Now, we know that they already have two children by the time of Pharaoh's decree to drown all the newborn males. And when the third is born, his physical beauty is such that his mother, carried by faith it seems, is convinced God has a purpose for him which seems to be implied by the record here as well as in Hebrews 11 verse 23. Now perhaps it was because Pharaoh's officers did periodic searches, but whatever the case, after three months the child is put into a vessel made of papyrus and placed at the edge of the river where it wouldn't be taken downstream. Now although we're not given details of what Jochebed, that's the mother, hoped might happen, it appears likely to me that Pharaoh's daughter washed herself at the same time and the same location and that that would have been known to anyone living in that area, which clearly is the case for this family. And so Jochebed then intended her to find her son and therefore maybe believed that her character was such that she might defy her father and protect rather than kill the child. A sister of the infant, probably Miriam, is watching and is able to approach the Egyptian princess and suggests she fetch a Hebrew nurse for the child. And unknown to the princess, of course, she goes and grabs her mother, who is then paid, remarkably paid, for a service she would have gladly performed for free. The princess then adopts the boy, names him Moses, and as Stephen reveals in Acts 7, he was, quote, learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. In verses 11 through 22, the record then skips 40 years to reveal to us the reason why Moses ended up having to leave Egypt for four decades. Moses knew he was a Hebrew, and at some point he needed to make a choice whether to accept his role in the royal household and perhaps even the possibility of becoming a prince, or to help his own people. And in the language of Hebrews 11, he quote, chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. It goes on to say he was esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now this conscious choice to reject, as we've said, perhaps the very throne of Egypt and align with those from whom the promised seed would come, seems to be driven by a sense of divine calling. It's interesting, in Acts 7, Stephen reveals, quote, And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Then it says this, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. The fact that the Hebrews didn't understand his calling is evident the next day when Moses tries to be a peacemaker between two fighting Hebrews. And one responds, quote, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me 
as thou killest the Egyptian? Upon hearing this, Moses is driven into exile, where he ends up marrying the daughter of a Midianite priest. Now, the Midianites descended from Abraham by his, the wife after Sarah, Keturah. Now, it's likely that this family had retained something of a knowledge of the gospel, but Moses still feels like a stranger, which is reflected in the name of their son, Gershom, which means stranger. From verse 23 then to the end, the final few verses cover another 40 years, and Another new pharaoh has arisen, and that may have raised the hopes of the Hebrews, but the bondage continues. And as a result, the children of Israel begin to cry out to the God of their fathers for deliverance. And so we come to application one. Faith does not require us to ignore practical realities. Some might argue that Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses, they should have trusted God rather than hide Moses. But even our Saviour, who knew he would be preserved until his hour was come, withdrew at times from those who sought his life. You see that in Luke 4.30 as well as John 8.59. So don't fall for the allure of a mystical obedience when a practical obedience glorifies God. 2. God's hand is upon the elect in their unregenerate state. It is impossible to miss God's providence as he governs over the little details of the early life of Moses. And although we're not appointed to such lofty service as Moses, we all should recognize God's sovereign governance of our affairs even before we were conscious of it. So if you're a Christian, don't allow any experience to create resentment around your early years, so to speak. Moses was separated from his family to live in the household of their enemy, and yet God had a purpose in that. And the same is true in your life and mine. doesn't matter how Difficult or hard, God has been governing every step of the way. 3. Civil authorities should be defied when their decrees are contrary to God's word. We are to obey them that have the rule over us, and even their foolish laws must be submitted to. But laws which ask us to rebel against God's explicit commands must be disobeyed. Now, it's good for us to learn from the midwives, Moses' parents, Daniel praying, the time when the apostles are forbidden from preaching, all that they do is, is an act of faith. It's not just carnal rebellion. I say that because it's really easy to get carried away. And we must make sure that if we ever are tempted to rebel against the authorities, it's not just because it's some kind of inconvenience, but they're asking us to sin. Four, men are inclined to commit the sins of their fathers. Moses, a Levite, does as his forefather did when in Levi's anger we're told he slew a man in Genesis 49. Now I have to confess, most commentators try to justify Moses killing the Egyptian, especially from the language of Acts 7.24. And Jewish tradition, in an attempt to justify the act, believes Moses killed the Egyptian with a prophetic word. So we have to ask, was this lawful interposition or self-defense? It's not explicit. And since Moses had time to look around before killing the Egyptian, it appears like the act of a vigilante. And the Hebrews, they don't support what he did, from the text at least. It's also worth noting that when Moses finally does deliver the Hebrews, he never lifts a weapon against any of them. Whatever the case, the lesson here appears to be that that Moses sought to save the Hebrews by works, when God intended to save them by grace. So I'm probably in the minority here, but 
I conclude that Moses' response to the Egyptian sin was an overreaction just as Levi had done before him. So may God deliver you and me from the sins of our forefathers, whatever form they take. 5. God gives hope of a deliverer through types. Moses was called by God to exemplify one of the most significant types of the Lord Jesus, functioning as a deliverer, as a lawgiver, and a mediator. In this chapter, we see how, just like Christ, Moses faced immediate danger at his birth. He was not ashamed to identify with his people and call them brethren. And yet, when he came onto his own, his own received him not. We can also see how Moses, just like Christ, went about doing good, seeking to exercise justice. You see that in the, the, the squabbling between the Hebrews and his interaction there, as well as on behalf of Jethro's daughters. And I think we can also say Moses had an affection for the oppressed, just like Christ, and just as we should. And finally, God brings life out of death. The command of Pharaoh was that every infant male should be drowned in the river. So when Jochebed places Moses in the river, she places him in the location of death. And yet from there, he is drawn out in life to eventually bring salvation to his people. And such is true of Christ, who was also placed on a cruel cross designed for death and yet was resurrected into an endless life whereby he was empowered to grant salvation to his people. So boys and girls, let me ask, have you been delivered from death? Are you saved? Are you born again? Have you been drawn out of that place like Moses and put into a place of life in Christ? I trust you have.